A lifetime of training, practice, study, hard work. Through discipline, some achieve excellence, mastery, fulfillment, self-actualization. What can we learn from their beginnings, discoveries, motivations, and falls? How do they dust themselves off and resume their journey? During these interviews, stories, and conversations, we reveal their intrinsic drive. Cecilia Schiller was born into a working-class family. Without money for college, she became a hairstylist. While viewing a retrospective of the abstract expressionist, sculptor and designer Ishamo Noguchi, she realized she was going to be an artist. Uncertain of where she fit in the American landscape, she embarked on a seven-year journey, working as an artisana, making handmade crafts which she sold on the street. After overcoming poverty, fear, and countless hardships, she returned home with two young daughters to raise as a single mother. Cecilia apprenticed with a master woodcarver over the next seven years, learning the engineering and kinetics of automata. Through wooden cranks and gears, making wood move. In witnessing her pieces, we are transported into magical scenes that come to life. Engineering, carving, woodworking, metalsmithing, theater set design, puppeteering, mask carving, and hairstyling. All these skills come into play in her breathtaking work. Through her years of dedication, ability to move beyond fear, and the faith to follow her artistic desire, Cecilia is now an award-winning wood sculptor, recognized for her work with grants from the Minnesota State Arts Board, the Jerome Foundation, and the National Endowment for the Arts. In addition to creating original and custom automata, Cecilia shares her skills by teaching classes and offering do-it-yourself original laser kits at her Cranky Heart Automata store. It was truly inspirational to learn about Cecilia's path, and we are thrilled to welcome this talented and generous artist to this episode of Intrinsic Drive. Hi, Cecilia. So great to have you with us and welcome to Intrinsic Drive. It's such a pleasure to have you on today. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. And I wanted to go to your beginning. You know, in this show, we have the genesis and the beginning of your journey. What was the inciting moment for you? Was it uh, working in the theater, being a puppeteer? Was it the Balinese mask? Uh, scene set design. What what was the inciting moment there? What what brought you to that? Yeah, I think um, I think it, it was like way uh, way back, way before that, before I even realized, you know, all those things were going to be a part of my life. And uh, I guess early, you know, in my childhood, I grew up in a real working class family, and uh, you know, to my understanding college was not in my future. And I became a hairstylist. Um, and uh, from there, I started going to taking just night school because I was kind of curious about things. And um, and after about four years of that, I, I was like, hey, I, I want to I started working part time and then going to school full time. And then I just went, you know, I'm going to quit and just go to school only. And um, so the night that I would I was, uh, we were having a party because I was quitting work and I went out with some friends and I had a little too much to drink and stuff. So 
Um, so I ended up sleeping over at their house. And the next day we all got up and we went to the Walker Art Center, which is in Minneapolis. And um, they happened to have this exhibit uh, called uh, of, of uh, Isamu Noguchi, uh, the Japanese uh, artist um, from the, you know, I, he, I'm not sure when he died, but, you know, his, his work is around the 40s and 50s. And this would have been in the 70s. Um, and um, it was a retrospective on his work. And, you know, I'd, I'd always thought of art as being something kind of superficial and, uh, you know, not, I wasn't interested in making art, you know, and uh, I was going to go into natural resources (laughs) and study science. And, uh, and so anyway, I saw this exhibit and here it was, um, he did park benches. He did, um, he designed landscapes. He designed, um, you know, theater sets, costumes, and there was a little bit of all these things. And I was so taken with it. I just walked around and I walked around and went back through, back through. And then I sat on the steps and I was just transfixed. And, uh, my friend came up to me and he said, um, it's, uh, you want to go? And I said, I'm going to be an artist. <laughs> and, and he, he just laughed and he said, it's about time. You know, so, and that was pretty much the reaction I got from everybody. It was that like, I was the only one didn't, didn't know, you know, yeah, this is your destiny. Just do it, you know? And, um, so, um, so anyway, um, yeah, that was the, I think the big, um, kind of aha moment for me. And, um, but I didn't, I didn't know what I was going to do, uh, with my work. I had an idea of like different areas I liked and stuff. And I did go to college and I majored in art and, um, and then I came out, wasn't exactly sure (laughs) what I wanted to do. And I also didn't really know how I fit into the American landscape um, and the culture. I, I just felt kind of adrift, like I didn't belong and um, and not knowing where, you know, or how to find a place to belong. And uh, that led me a couple of years later to um, to uh, go on a on a, I guess, a journey. And uh, I went to I went to Latin America, okay, uh, South America. That was the seven- South America. Yeah. So I was yeah, I was uh, seven years in in uh, Latin America because I went I went by land. So I went through Mexico, Guatemala, et cetera, et cetera, down the West Coast, over across to Argentina and then finally up to Brazil, where I spent the most time there it was four years so and that was a really you know a lot happened in that seven years and what I can say you know um kind of the synthesis of it was I left not knowing where I belonged and when I came back I knew I belonged I didn't I didn't have to belong in a particular place I just knew that I belonged so I became, you know, through through all these uh, trials and tribulations that I that I endured, um, I came to a peaceful recognition of who I was, you know. 
Because I know, and, and we'll get to that in sort of the, some of the falls, but I know there was a really difficult moment there in Peru. You know, you, you were you were robbed and you were alone. And that that's, you know, that's really yeah. dramatic. Yeah. Um, were you were you creating art at the time during this seven year process or were you picking up, obviously, ideas and, you know, new mm-hmm. experiences? What was happening in that in terms of your craft? Well, um, I I was living really hand to mouth and I was making jewelry and selling it on the street. Okay. And so I wasn't I never felt like I was like really um, developing my craft because it was a very kind of practical thing to do. And although, you know, I did my best to make nice things, it just wasn't it, it didn't have a place to go. You know, it, it was very limited. On, and I also uh, had planned that I would end up working with theater. But okay. what I found was that. The path I was on with the color artisan or the craftsperson path and the theater, the, the theatrical path were parallel paths. Yes. I wasn't really, I wasn't really um, connecting with people, you know, of that, um, of that ilk. And um, so I think, you know, I mean, there was several very low moments. You named one where I, where I got robbed um, but, and from there I had, I had very little money, I had maybe $50 and, but what was worse was that they robbed me of all my merchandise for selling. And so I had no merchandise to sell. So, um, the $50 was not a big deal because if I could sell things, I could always get some more money. So, um, but I continued on and that was, uh, yeah, right. As I was leaving Peru. And I went to Argentina, and by the time I landed in Cordoba, um, um, I had zero. I had zero, and i i met um, I met a guy along the trip, and he said, "Oh, you know, go. Um, my sister's in Cordoba. You know, maybe you know you could stay with her. You know." So, <laughs> so I remember landing in Cordoba, and it was. Um, was probably, I don't know, it was midday or two in the afternoon and middle summer and the whole place was closed up like a drum. You know, this is the second largest city in Argentina and there was no one, absolutely no one on the street um, because it's too hot. Everybody goes indoors, it's siesta, they close the shutters. That gap after lunch, big, like two, like an hour. And it's like about, you know, 11 o'clock to about four o'clock, everything just... it's closed up and so I was like oh what am I going to do and I found her address and I went it was in a a building and I went and knocked on the door and I said oh you your brother gave me your name and he said maybe I could stay here a few days or something and she was like oh you know she was really upset and she's like well and it was like a Saturday and she said well you have to be gone by Monday no that's it Monday I was like, okay, you know, and so um, from there, I, I found a, an artist, um, a craft fair, and I just ended up talking to some folks there, and and uh, this couple said, you can stay with us for a week, we were out in the country, you know, so I stayed with them for a week and came back the next week, and I remember uh, I walked along the um, 
the road there by the art by the um the crafts area the craft sale um park you know yeah and there was a um there was a couple hotels you know so i went into one and i said say do you you know do you have um an economical room you know that i could rent and and he looked at me and he said honey we rent these rooms by the hour i don't think you want them <laughs> i was like oh no not the right hotel for you <laughs> so i was like okay no and um but what I, and this was really kind of bizarre but um there was a um a theatrical guild there and i don't even remember how i met him but someone that worked at the guild he let me stay in the guild office okay and um and i must have stayed there for a week you know but you know it just kind of things evolved and i managed to um find a way to earn some money i can't even tell you how i did that but um but and then i um i rented a, a room and a house and you know one thing led to another um one i met a woman at a fair and and she said oh well, we have a house you can stay there for free you know and so i mean she met me just like that one time and the next thing i knew um she was she had had you know given her her house to me it was a house they were it wasn't quite finished yet but it was livable mm-hmm. and um i lived there for a year out in the country rent free so yeah so just kind of amazing things like that would would happen yeah so um how old were you at this point let's say as you're coming into the ascent now you know we sort of um you're you're finding this new way through being so resourceful you know and 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 figuring things out and then you're are you you're starting to get into the beginnings of the theater here um with this and and how old are you at this point in your um at this point in uh, you know also i had already been working in theater before i left the country okay so you were already um so i i had already kind of um yeah i had been working in professional theater you know in the um backstage and then i'd been doing some puppetry mask work with um you know with more puppetry group um and uh so i wasn't I wasn't that young. I think I was 31 at this point, you know? So, um, yeah. So I, you know, I attempted to, uh, find a way with theater. Um, it didn't go, um, it didn't go especially well, you know, uh, a woman that I wanted to work with, um, that I'd heard about when I was in Peru. Um, it just didn't click. We didn't, um, uh, we, you know, I, I took a couple classes with her, but it, nothing ever really came of it. Um, I did a little bit of puppetry and stuff there, but I think the big, um, the big takeaway for me was more life lessons. Yes. And I, I, you know, I mean, I've, I've always worked on my craft. I've always developed my craft in any way that I, I can. I've always, I've, I've been the kind of person where I, I, I'll say, I'll scrub the toilet with the toothbrush if I'll learn something from it. You know, it's like, I'm willing to, you know, to, to work for very little or to, you know, it's like what, what I get out of an experience is what is important for me. 
So, um, yeah. So anyway, it just, um, um, you know, going, I think, you know, meeting fear where fear is and not backing down because I didn't have any option to back down. You know, it's like, this is it. You know, you have to figure out your way. There is no other way. You know, it's not like you can go, oh, okay, I'll just take a left instead of a right. No, you know, this is it. This is where you were at. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, finding the kindness of strangers, um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, just the, the magic of, of the, you know, when you're in a really vulnerable situation, uh, I think magic happens a lot more than when you're in safe situations. And so serendipitous things would happen. Like I would say, I need X amount of dollars. You know, I'd have a conversation with somebody. I really want to do X, Y, and Z. And I can't because I don't have X amount of dollars. And then I went to the post office, opened opened an envelope from a friend and they'd sent me $50. And that was what the amount I'd said, you know, it, it was, it was just like mind blowing. So, um, so anyway, I mean, I could go on and on and on about the different, um, experiences that you know that um kind of brought me around to have faith in life yes faith in my path you know and and a a bit of a fearlessness about how to approach it not that i wasn't scared i was scared a lot but but i still i wasn't immobilized with fear and you're facing that fear on a daily basis in such a visceral way. And yeah. the idea of adversity sort of introducing you to yourself. I mean, I just yeah. love that because when you look at your work now in the automata, I mean, it's just so beautiful. And there's such a depth of field. There's so much craft, but there's also so much experience that goes into some of these, especially the commission work. And I think that it's, right. it's all this experiences that, that you've had of having to uh, be in that zone of I've got to recreate myself every moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can, nothing given. <laughs> and I can do this and it's, it's super scary. Right. But that toothbrush, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to, you know, cranky lady, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And I love that. It's just such a beautiful. Um, so this feels like it's a huge discovery. I mean, what mm-hmm. new things coming to light in this, in, in the show, we asked about the mentors, coaches, and teachers, and what was revealed as you came out of this incredible experience of having to be self-sufficient, having to move through fear, and then coming back home, what were some of the discoveries that you had after that? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I think coming home was was really hard, you know. Uh, I mean, well, and from, um, should be said too, that like from, from Argentina, I went to, I went to Brazil and I had two children that were born in, in Brazil, wow. two daughters, and uh, one with an Argentinian that I met, you know, in Argentina during that time. Wow. And um, and then we we separated later. And then my second daughter was uh, her father is uh, in, in, he's Brazilian. OK, um, so um, 
So there was many, you know, many similar things there where I, you know, I kind of went down rabbit holes and had to dig my, dig my way out again. And, um, and this time, you know, with, uh, with a child or with two children, you know, <laughs> so, um, no, yeah. Yeah. But also, you know, having, uh, children in Brazil, um, they, it just always felt like I was surrounded with community, you know, um, people, people were there, people were available, um, you know, it, um, you know, like I, I like to say that if I was in a rush when I was in Brazil, I would take the long way because if I took the shortcut, it would take longer because, you know, I had to go past this house and they always say, you know, their, their, their way to say hello is, oh, sit down, have a cup of coffee, you know, (laughs) and then, you, you know, next thing you know, you're having dinner with them and, and, um, you know, it takes, takes all afternoon. So, um, so I would go the long way. Um, so it was, I, that, that was, um, that was kind of what it was like. And then when I came back here, um, you know, uh, uh, stay at home mom, um, and I was a single mom, um, you know, that you, there just, there wasn't very many people around and I felt really, really isolated, um, People also, they weren't really interested in my stories um, of discovery, you know. Um, it just, it was very, I was kind of unrelatable. Um, and um, it was very, very hard in, in the beginning, you know. So that, that was, uh, you know, so, but, but, you know, that's when I started wood carving that um, while I was in Brazil, um, I'll go back a little bit. I, I did, uh, I lived in an intentional community um, uh, with a bunch of hippies. And uh, at one point I, I kind of built my own primitive house. I didn't build it myself alone, but the community, people in the community helped me to come together, have, you know, kind of a barn raising kind of thing. That's great. And, um, yeah. What was the uh, material? Was it a wood or was it? Uh, yeah, we uh, uh, wood. Um, you know, tree, tree. You know, we yeah, it was made out of trees, but you know, we we prepared the wood and um, all the timbers and everything, mm-hmm. and um, in stone, use stone for the floor and for the foundation. Stuff. Hard work, yeah. And, um, and then I was, it was going to be a thatched roof, but I never got that far, so it was tarped for you know heavy tarps for most of the time I was there. Wow. But um, but anyway um. Oh, so during that time, I, uh, I tried to like, uh, chisel or, you know, turn, turn these, um, these posts that I had from, from round posts into square posts by, by, um, using an axe. Cause I had seen people do this, you know? Yeah. And after about a half an hour, 20 minutes, probably my hands were numb and I couldn't feel anything. And I was like, oh, man, no, my hands are too important. I can't I can't do this. Um, But I kind of vowed that I was going to learn how um, to carve. And so um, when I came back to the United States, um, I that was the first thing I did was look for a carving teacher. 
And I found one um, close by. He's uh, a Greek, a Greek import. <laughs> so, um, so that's when I started wood carving. Was when I first got back, and um, and studied with him for seven years. Okay. So, um, so just like once a week, or and then I, I did some work for him too later on, and and um, and then you know. So that's kind of where I got my start, and and um, you know, being a being a single mom and being just a mom, you know, it's like I didn't have a lot of time. And at this point, my youngest daughter was just a year old. Okay. Um, so, um, you know, not even to a full-fledged toddler yet. So, um, but I, I was really clear I was going to do this and I would, I would carve out little spaces yeah. of time that were my time. And um, the big thing I think was consistency. Like I always did that. Like I, I did have one day or, you know, five hours or four hours or two hours, but that was, that was my time. And over many years, I was really dedicated that I would focus on my carving then, you know, and, and that really paid off, um, really took me to a higher level. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And what, at this point about your drives, what was urging you forward? What were some of the external and internal forces and motivations during that time? Was it to support your family, you know, your daughters and, and make this into a vocation as well? Was that a big motivator or were there others? Well, I think that was a motivator, but, um, but, you know, also, um, I think it was something else because what, uh, when I did when I did start working, the first job I did, I was I worked as in the schools as a, a bilingual, um, you know, interpreter or facilitator for the kids. I I would work with the kids, and I because we um, we had a, a big influx of um, of immigrants, um, Spanish speaking Im immigrants. So I worked with the families and the kids, and I did that for about three years, and I could have continued. Yes. And I could have continued and had, you know, or even gone on to, do, uh, you know, the door was there to become a, um, you know, and that's um, what a second second language for the second language learners. I could have become a teacher and had, you know, a real kind of dependable uh, paycheck and a retirement plan and all that. But, you know, I just um, it just wasn't attractive enough for me and it was like no I really my path is to work with my hands I have to do this yeah. you know I just um I I didn't see any other way it makes total sense it makes total because that that's the internal drive you feel like yeah. this joy and this passion that bubbles up even when there's no time right you've got a one-year-old yeah you're finding these little windows and they're consistent. You know, you, you yeah. keep going and going and going and all of a sudden it's years and years and years and you're honing this. And what about um, the fall or speed bumps? And we talked about one really low moment in Peru, but what were some of the lowest moments in your career or life overall and any inciting moments or events there that come up? Yeah. You know, one thing that comes to mind um, is, um, you know, what ended up, you know, um, after the, you know, it was, well, after the, the three years of, of, of working in the schools, um, 
Um, so when I, I went to Bali okay. and I came back and I really wanted to uh, work with that experience. And I did a number of different things, freelancing and um, some teaching in schools, some, you know, um, internships with, you know, I, I don't know, just doing residencies in grade schools. I did work in theaters. And then I, I started to um, get a kind of a little bit more lucrative job uh, working um, in as part of a set crew on um, this um, well, it, it it started out as Dayton's fab, uh, Dayton's uh, department store, yeah. and then it turned to Marshall Fields, and ultimately turned into Macy's yeah. um, in downtown Minneapolis. But they have this eighth eighth floor auditorium, and they would make this really elaborate. This since the 1960s, since I was a child, you know, they would make this really elaborate Christmas display with about 60 different scenes and it would take about three or four months to build, you know, with all these different crews. So um, I was on the set crew, but I would also, the the prop, because I have so many different skills, yes, yeah. you know, and I also was a hairdresser and a costumer and stuff. So, you know, the prop shop would borrow me. The costume people would borrow me that, you know, they would also have me do hair and I, I'm, I can paint too. So the, the paint crew, they weren't, they were more like, no, nah, we're take care of our own stuff. You stay away from here. But I did get my fingers in the paint every once in a while. But, um, so I, and, and I also, when the, when the animated figures came in, they would have me tweak them so that they would work a little more realistically. So, you know, but anyway, um, so I did that for about five years. Um, and then kind of the drop, the bottom dropped out, you know, it was about 2007, 2008 and, and everything, you know, theater stopped hiring. Um, the Macy's decided they only wanted to do the same show over and over again. So I had no work there. Um, and, um, and it was, and then I, I think I was about, um, I was in my early fifties and I thought to myself, you know, people always think about, you know, oh, when I retire, I'll do the artwork I really want to do, you know. Someday and my ship will come in. <laughs> exactly. It will happen. Right, right, right. And I and I felt like if, uh, you know, you know, if, if you, you don't just turn on a dime and start doing this fabulous artwork, <laughs> it takes time to to develop that. And and so I, I thought, well, if I want to do what I want to do, <laughs> not someone else's idea, right. Right. Uh, I have to I have to do it. I have to start doing it now, you know, and 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 understanding, too, that, like, I'm not in a position I can retire so that I'm going to be working into old age. And so I want to do what I want to do. Right. So um, so I started I I, I got a the studio space that I could work in. And, um, and I was having a really hard time, you know, because of like I'm making stuff and I'm questioning what I'm making and I'm spending all this money on the space, the materials and not really any return. And what am I doing? You know? And, um, I, um, I, I am, a I practice Buddhism 
And my, um, I went to my teacher and, uh, was just an amazing, compassionate, insightful, wise person. And I told him the situation and he said, um, he said, um, think about generosity. He said, do this as a gift. Yes. Do this, you know, for the world, you know. This is an act of generosity. And, you know, I mean, saying it now, I can't feel the same thing that I felt then, but the, it hit me in, it went right to my heart. Yes. And, and to like, yes, like I wasn't doing it out of heart. I was doing it out of what's the return. What's the return. You know, always thinking of like, what's going to come back to me for doing this, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that really changed it. And I went to, back to the studio and I just thought, this is a gift, yeah. a gift. And, um, and it really changed the way I felt about doing the work. And, um, and I started really, you know, kind of enjoying it. I started feeling the flow, feeling the intuition and, um, and it wasn't in, and then, I mean, I was probably at that time too, that this friend of mine, um, called me and she said, Cecilia, there's an exhibit at the American Swedish Institute. You have to go see it. He's teaching a class. You have to take the class. Do not think about it. Do not pass go. Just go sign up for this class. And I was like, okay, she's a really trusted friend. And I just called and signed up for the class. I don't see it. And it was a Swedish man um, who was in, you know, hardly spoke any English. But he was teaching a class of uh, automata. And um, okay, okay. And as it happens, when I, I took the class and we all made the same thing, yeah. and there was a, uh, um, we just were supposed to copy his piece. Okay. And I measured wrong. And I put my two axle holes just like two millimeters too close together. For the gears. The, the, the gears, yeah. Uh-huh. And um, and right away, I put the gears together, and they they jammed. Okay. okay. So I had to shave down that whole one gear all the way around until it would work. You adjusted. Um, yeah. And then I put on the, the cam, and it jammed, because now the axes were too close, and the cam was too big. So I had to shave down the, the cam, and all the way along the way every single thing it it was this cascading effect that this one mistake i made cascaded through the entire piece and i had to adjust every single component so by the time i was finished i understood completely how the whole thing worked because <laughs> you had to by default reverse engineer you know as exactly, exactly. yeah So, you know, I've come to, you know, embrace mistakes, embrace because you learn a lot more from your mistakes than you ever will from your successes. That's right. And so, yeah. So anyway, that's kind of, and then it's just been kind of go since there then. And I very quickly started um, getting recognition, getting grants, um, getting awards, um, and, um, you know, it's like, I'm not going to buy the mansion on the hill now, you know, but, <laughs> but I feel very comfortable that whatever I make will sell Great. and yeah. that I can 
make what I want to make. And there's people that want me to make their ideas too. So, you know, I have, have some commissions in the wings. So, yeah, so it's, I'm, I, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm 66 years old now. And, um, and it's like, I, I finally, it took a long time, but I've found my path and stuck to it. And I feel like I've gotten to a, a decent place now, you know. What a beautiful uh, pivot, because I love what your teacher said, you know, is, hey, focus on making a gift and enter that gratitude frequency. You know, you just entered a different zone. Mm-hmm. And you stepped out of that fear of generating for the wrong reason, you know, and then you became right. giving of service. Because when you look at your work now, it makes total sense now to, to see all those different experiences that you had. Because I'm looking at your work and I'm thinking, wow, this is a Christmas scene. This is the most amazing Christmas scene, you know, or that idea of looking in a picture window and all the... Uh- the stories are coming to life through the gearing and right. the, yeah. the nuanced movement. And so it makes total sense with uh, mask work and, 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 and theater and puppeteering, bringing an idea or a story to life. And, it, and there's so much joy. It gives you so much joy. You smile when you, when you look at these yeah. things move and you, you say, Oh, wow. I just want to be in the room with this. I want to feel that. So uh, this makes total sense. If you, if you had the opportunity, Cecilia, what would you redo or do differently at this point in your life, if anything? You know, um, that's a, that's interesting. I, you know, I think, um, I, this is what I say, but I don't know if I would do it, but I, I think, um, to live a little bit more deliberately, okay. you know, I've been, that I've kind of, gone whichever way the wind blew. Um, and I can't complain about that because that led me to where I am. Absolutely. So, um, and I, I don't have any problem with where I am, (laughs) but so, you know, but in my next life, maybe (laughs) just take the lessons I've already learned and maybe just live a little bit more deliberately so that I can make better use of, of the things I've learned. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think. But who knows? That makes sense. But I, I think all those departures and all those things that you felt like you were off path. Right. It's, it's yeah. so, it, your work is so succinct and it it's so magical, but it's also so precise. So all those imprecise decisions sometimes and being in that creative mind and having to be in the intuit and having to be in the quiet and figure these things out, not not in an esoteric sense of having too much time where you're able to collapse, but you have to uh, confront this fear here and now, I think was a very powerful uh, stepping stone lessons that you you're pulling on every day and every moment in your work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, On the anvil, as we go back, take me to a decision that forged you a defining moment. You feel that shaped your destiny. Was it, was it meeting with the teacher in that moment? That, that feels like a very, uh, pivotal moment that took you to automata or is it whether others or something else that stands out for you as it? Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I guess in terms of teachers, I've had so many teachers along the way. Um, and I, I think 
you know, um, I don't, you know, some people will talk about being self-taught and I, I think I, I like have had million teachers. So, and they come in all forms, you know, so it's hard for me to define something like that about my work. Um, one, I guess, you know, a defining moment that, that I have recognized from my past was, um, when I was, when I was, um, uh, uh, when my daughter was, she was just a few months old and, um, and I was, I was separated from her father. He was very unreliable. Um, and things were very difficult, you know, um, and, uh, (laughs) I was, I had, um, I had been resourceful enough to find someone that would help me find this, a little house that I was able a little one room house, nice, clean little one room house that I could live in. Um, and somebody had, somebody had given me a, um, a two burner, a two burner, uh, gas thing, but, um, but it was broken. It wasn't right. And otherwise I just had a screw on one to the, to the bottle, you know? So it was just one burner, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't very practical and everything. And this two burner would be so awesome. And, um, anyway, so there was these two guys that were walking up and down the street and they were fixing ovens and stoves. They were just kind of ambulant fixers, you know, and, um, and I saw them, I knew what they were doing. And I thought, Oh, so I called them in and I said, Hey, um, could you, do you think you could fix this two burner? So it's not working. And, um, and they said, Oh yeah, we could do that. You know? And, um, and so then they started working on it and I started getting really nervous because how much is it going to cost? You know, and, but I don't want him not to fix it, but I'm going, how much is it going to cost? You know, and I'm getting really nervous and, uh, you know, all this. And, and finally they, they finish and they turn around and they say, that'll be five hay ice or whatever it was. And, um, and I, I just went, what? Five hay ice? No, no way. You know, it's like, I, I'm a single mom. I, her dad doesn't help me. Blah, blah, blah. I can't afford that. And, and then I said, how about this? How about, can you, will you take the, you know, the little, the little one burner thing? And they said, no, we don't want that, you know, and, and they, I went on so much and they got so disgusted with me that they just went, forget it. <laughs> and they, they walked away. And when they did that, not taking any, they didn't want any payment. They just were like disgusted. They didn't want to deal with me. Bye. You know? And I felt so ashamed. I felt, you know, it's like my, uh, my victimhood didn't have anything to do with them. They had no obligation to me. And I was throwing this in their face, you know, to, they had to help me because I was a victim. And so but I had been doing this in other ways and hadn't been seeing it. But this time was so clear and so unforgivable. And I felt so horrible that I, I didn't want to go out on the street again that because I was afraid I would see them and they would see me. And, you know, I was so ashamed and, and I vowed I wasn't going to be a victim anymore. And so that, 
that was a real turning point for me for where I, I instead of seeing myself as this victim who, you know, I like started to know, you know, this is my life. This is where I am because this is, I got myself here <laughs> and I am going to go forward with my hair, my head held high and I'm going to take responsibility for my actions. And, um, and, you know, that was so powerful, so humiliating right. and, and so powerful. And I, you know, so those two guys were my teachers, you know, they taught me to see this horrible fault I had, you know? And, um, so, you know, that was, a, I think that was a, a, one of the major turning points in my life because I refused to see myself as a victim after that, you know? Or anything. What a gift. I mean, what a gift because it just, I mean, right now you can see, you know, um, I'm not in the studio, right? So I don't know. But it, what comes forth is that you're so fierce and fearless with the failure because you imagine some of these pieces, some of these larger pieces, all these things, as you said, if there's a cascade of things that if they're not precise, they're not working and the thing's not cranking and these beautiful, um, wood is not moving in this marvelous way. And, and, and the whimsy doesn't come, uh, magically, you know, it's, it's right, right. hard work. It's, it's magical, but it's, you know, so that, what a gift, that process that you went through, I think. Yeah. 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 Um, your journey now, Cecilia, what's most important to you? What does the road ahead look like for you and what's next? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, now my, my daughters are mothers. <laughs> their, their children are the age that they were when I was in South America. So I kind of reliving a lot of those moments yeah. through them. Um, but, you know, um, and I'm at a point where I, uh, my partner and I were going to move to Northern Wisconsin and we renovated a barn. My studio is in the barn already. Wow. And I'm transitioning out of the home that I've had for the last close to 20 years. Okay. And, um, and so that's, you know, I've got to downsize a little bit. Okay. I just don't have enough room. <laughs> but um, so I, I anticipate my work is going to change somewhat just because of the influences of the location. Yes. And, and also, you know, I, I want to, I want to be sure to spend time with my grandchildren. You know, I want to, I want my life to include some playtime and, and some cherished together time with the people that I love. And I can get very focused and, and, you know, um, just, uh, you know, on my work and, and kind of go overboard sometimes, but I really want to rein it back and find that balance where I work, I have play, I have time for meditation, time for reflection, time, time to actually see where that path is going forward. Yeah. So, and be open to it. Yeah. The good life. It, it, that's the good life. I hope so. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, it just feels right, you know, to have the balance of having a loving partner and then spending time with your grandkids and having that time and then not pushing, having the work come when it's right, you know, the right type of pace 
because right, right. you go in that other zone because there's so much and you're so much in demand now because of the, the beautiful works or you obviously you're going to get commissions and that could, that could be stacked up. I mean, so um, any, as we look back, you know, we called it the slipstream in the show, any parting gems of advice you'd like to leave for us today on intrinsic drives? Yeah, maybe um, don't fear failure. You know, that failure is, is only word. <laughs> it's a, it's a very valuable tool to help define where, what your next step is. Right. Failure is your teacher and uh, it's um, to be embraced. Yeah. And, you know, I, I also say, you know, as a, a professional is only someone who knows how to fix their mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. That's right. Sure. Make them even if you're a professional. <laughs> so. or, yeah. The more you really get out there too, that you push the envelope of what's possible. And, and Absolutely. Yeah. As you're moving into that creative mind, because it's just, you can see the expanse of your creative mind. I just love uh, some of the commission work and that one that pops up for me and please do go to the website uh, when you listen to this podcast, but Cecilia Schiller.com and everything is there and you'll go into commissions and you'll see seeking solace and inspiration in the office of Dr. Flowers. And I just love that so much. It happened, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? There's, it happened during the pandemic and there's a constant. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, um, um, the person who commissioned it, um, he, he is a therapist himself. Okay. And so he contacted me, said, I love your work. I want you to make something for me. And I'm a therapist and I want it to be something about my work, you know, and, um, my own daughter is a therapist. And, um, Great. so I, I called her and I, I said, hon, do, is it, do you think there's anything, you know, in, without breaking confidentiality, is there something in your practice that has happened that's kind of comical or something <laughs> you could tell me about? Yeah. And she thought and she said, no. <laughs> so I was like, oh, dear. And, you know, but we continued to talk. And then um, oh, after a while, I said, hey, um, I just had this thought. What do you think of this? I said the therapist is, is sitting there with his patient to a woman who's crying and crying. And and um, and he he just he after a while, he gets up, he goes over, he picks up a watering can and then he opens her head. Yeah. He waters her head. Yeah. And then a flower grows out of her head. Uh, yeah. And she said, I love it. <laughs> so I, I talked to the therapist and he was like, oh, that's so awesome. He said, I, I, I like to say to my patients, I'm planting seeds. Yeah. Yeah. So it really worked for him. And then, of course, the first thing I had to do was say, well, I'm not going to be able to make a person stand up, go over, pick up a watering can, do all these things right. So we have to simplify. Yeah. So and that's how the whole rest of it evolved. Yeah. yeah. I love how the picture opens and then the and then the watering can pours and the head opens, you know, her head opens yeah. the patient and then the flower comes up out of the head after the watering has happened. And and, and the Dr. Flowers takes copious notes, you know, <laughs> he's just sketching, you know. <laughs> he's doodling. Yeah. <laughs> doodling. It's fabulous. And then a stylish dresser, of course, he's in he's really well dressed. But then you know, he's got he's got the nod, you know, and he's really uh -huh. 
being, being focused and attentive and taking it all in. And then the, the leg is just kind of gently kicking there. So there's a lot of nuance there that's, uh, that you yeah, yeah. beautifully. And then El Maggio uh, was a, the 90th birthday for an artist uh, that was commissioned. It's a beautiful Renaissance man. So he's uh, got the cards and it's just incredible. Right. And every single thing in that, in on that piece, you know, from the colors to the individual, um, you know, iconography and everything, it's all reference to his work or his life. And so that was, it was, he had a lot of fodder there for, <laughs> for, yeah, I think we were kind of, we're kind of kindred spirits. Yes. Um, so, um, so that was really, yeah, yeah. Any, any, any other ones that come to mind when uh, your favorites and in, in working with an idea and working with a client or, or you know, the- yeah, well, the, the, um, yeah, most, um, most recent or, uh, at least not the most recent, but recently I, I finished a piece called puppet master and it's, it's new enough that it's not on my website, but I hope to get it up there soon. And um, it's kind of autobiographical about my own work as a puppeteer and stuff. And, and it's um, a puppeteer with a, a set and he's performing for, um, for an audience of children, four children. One is really excited, happy, and, she's, and clapping. One is horrified, covering her face. Oh. Another one is just enchanted and watching. Yeah. And then, of course, there's the precocious one who's got to mess with the set (laughs) and he reaches for the curtain and the curtain raises and the puppeteer pushes out his foot and there's a barking dog puppet on his foot. So the dog barks at the little boy and he goes back. (laughs) And then of course, then there's all the, the lower part is all the gears and there's seven, 37 gears to make all this stuff happen. And um, I felt like there needed to be a little story on the, about, you know, on the understory. (laughs) Right. right. So that it, so I made all these other little puppets to be down there. So it's like the puppets are running the whole show and they're down in the understory. Um, so it's, uh, it's really, um, and, and what I'm doing with that one, I'm not putting it in a gallery right away. I made a crate that I, my traveling crate and, um, and I just took it this morning to, um, share with a group of people at my Qigong class. So I'm I'm just going and kind of having it be a pop-up little automata show, you know? Um, and, uh, I'm not exactly sure how it's going to evolve but i'm i'm hoping to um to share it with people in more intimate settings and uh and maybe do a powerpoint presentation of my work additionally um but uh, so far it's it's been kind of fun just sharing it these small groups that's so great that you can travel with it that it could be portable in in that way um yeah yeah, and then love the kits, and I just ordered one today called Odin. I saw that. Thank you. <laughs> where the deer is moving, and I saw there was a bigger piece that was commissioned where there was a mom deer, and there was two fawns that were moving at different pace. Yeah. And then you had the understanding right. gearing, sort of that was sort of the grass that they were moving through, or things like that in the landscape. Right. Yeah. Beautiful. Uh, so there's, that's all on the website. So go to celiashiller.com. It's all there. And then, of course, the classes 
Uh, is it mostly in August when you do the class up at the North House Folk School? No, I think I I think I'll be doing one uh, in January, February. I can't uh, can't recall now, but I usually teach there a couple times a year. Mm-hmm. And um, now that I have the barn studio, um, the idea is to have a few small classes in the barn, maybe three or four students at a time. But um, yeah, so that'll be coming maybe next year, next summer. Um, so anyway, yeah. And I do have a mailing list. I don't very often send out email. (laughs) I'm a little bit negligent about that, Mm -hmm. but if you do sign up for my email list, I will, when the time comes, um, let you know what's up. (laughs) Great. Well, please follow. And for those of you that are on Instagram, I think it's cranky lady two is that handle, and there's some beautiful images there of of Cecilia's work and seeing that motion and uh, kind of follow there. But uh, Cecilia, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to be with us on Intrinsic Drive. I so look forward to meeting you in person and taking one of your classes. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. Just work is so beautiful and it just needs to get out there to all of us because it gives us joy. So, well, thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Yeah. (laughs) thanks for being with us we appreciate you opting in subscribing and reviewing us for thumbing us up and following us on socials liking us we like you drop us a note tell us what stories move you for books videos resources and more information visit us at w-h-a-r-t-o-n health.com forward slash shop Wharton health. And be sure to join us for the next episode of Intrinsic Drive.